Hello and greetings. We're glad that you have interest in spiritual matters and we're thankful that you've joined us today. I'm Ethan and we work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. It is written in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. In this passage, the Hebrew author establishes that there is a need for Christians to mature, that there is a point at which there is an expected level of development where they are able to be teachers and should no longer need to be primarily instructed in the basic elements of the faith. Development is a very important, critical element to Christianity, and it's good to understand why we must develop in the faith. Why is it that we can't just be a Christian, but that we also have to develop and grow as Christians? And during our time right now, why don't we look in the scriptures to establish the necessity that is laid upon us to mature in the faith? Before we do so, it's good to understand something that is true in reality that God has made into his world. That motion is one of the few constants. We're always in motion. If you're right now driving in a car or taking some kind of transportation, you're aware that you're in motion. But even if you are sitting down and you don't think you're moving, you're always moving. Because the earth is constantly rotating on its axis and rotating around the sun. And gravity and other factors are making sure that we don't feel this. But it constantly continues. And think about it for just a second. What if the earth stopped moving? Well, we'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? Half of the earth would be scorched by perpetual sunlight, and the other half would die in perpetual darkness. Half of the earth would be impossible to live in because it's too hot, and the other half would be uh, dead because it's too cold. And so even if we're not feeling it, we're moving. And that movement is a good thing indeed. And that's why it's also true in spiritual terms, as we'll see in Scripture. Because we may not feel like our lives, physically or spiritually, are moving. But in a way, we are always truly in motion. And the Bible expresses this motion in various metaphors in different passages. And let's explore those metaphors. Now, before we do that, it's good to consider that metaphors are a very effective means of teaching. It's really hard for humans to understand spiritual truths on their own, independent of any kind of referent. Humans are creatures of analogy. We understand things in terms of or in the likeness of something else. You can test yourself about this. If you're trying to talk to somebody and explain to them something they do not understand, something they're not familiar with, you're more than likely going to try to find some analogy. Well, this is like that. That's how we try to communicate things. 
And that's the point of metaphor many times in Scripture. Metaphors allow us to use physical and easily understood concepts to illustrate spiritual truths. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we are introduced to one such metaphor. It's also, uh, as we're going to see in the Hebrew author in chapter 12 as well, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And the Hebrew author in chapter 12 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul introduces a different illustration. In verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And previously he had said that he uh, forgot what lies behind and strains forward to what lies ahead. So it's uh, kind of another movement illustration, perhaps even a running illustration, but here we have the upward element as well. And we also have from the words of our Lord himself in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the idea there that Christianity is a narrow, difficult path with a very narrow gate. And that has some kind of journey and therefore movement uh, illustration as well. Now we need to make sure we don't combine our metaphors. We might want to try to say, well, Christianity is an upward race on a narrow, difficult path. But that's not going to help us really understand what's going on with each of these illustrations. There are some things that are held in common, but there are some very important distinctions that help us understand certain things about our faith and about the kind of life God would have us to lead. One thing that we see throughout these metaphors is that there is a determination to move. That may seem evident. Uh, But they all are talking about movement. If you run in a race, if you proceed upward, or if you're taking a narrow and difficult path, there's some motivation that's needed to do that. What is the motivation that exists to run the race, to proceed the upward call, or to take the narrow and difficult path? Well, one uh, motivation that's very uh, common is fear. Whenever you see on the news some terrible event, you can think about uh, uh, if there's a protest and and somebody starts shooting, uh, if uh, a shooter starts shooting. uh, A few uh, years ago, we had a terrible tsunami in the uh, Indian Ocean area, and once that water uh, started coming ashore, all the video images showed people running for their lives. Uh, that's really sufficient motivation. When somebody feels a danger to their lives, a fear of loss of life, that will definitely uh, inspire them to move and to move quickly. 
And in spiritual terms, if we see the fires of hell coming toward us, would we not run very fast in the opposite direction? That's why a lot of people are motivated by a fear of hell. And in 1 Peter 5, and verse 8, our adversary is described as a lion. And when in, on nature shows, if you see the, the lion hunting, uh, the minute the prey is aware of the lion's presence, what's the prey start doing? It starts running away as fast as it can. And so that's definitely one motivation, and it does exist. But we have to ask, uh, can that sustain us? Because we can only run so hard and so long based on fear. And the evil one is great at giving us times where we can become complacent about such things. Further, what happens if one is overtaken? Or if our fear diminishes? What is going to motivate us after that? Even if we're starting down that path because of the motivation of fear of hell or other things, can it carry us to the end? Well, some are also motivated by future glory. They take the opposite approach. It's not the, the full negative, it's the full positive. They read about the exaltation of the humble and the great glory awaiting those who uh, have submitted to the Lord Jesus in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 and many other passages. And future rewards in heaven and the resurrection are what motivate such people to continue on the path. And that can be well and good. But what happens if and when we have clouds of persecution and trial? that obscure that heavenly promise, where it's very difficult to get uh, through a particular challenge or difficulty. What, what happens when that reward seems further and further away? Will we still remain motivated? Now, others are self-motivated. And these people don't require very many external factors to motivate them. They have the strength within themselves to continue on a path. It's a very honorable and noble motivation. But as... The prophet Jeremiah saw it is not within a man direct his own steps, and by our own strength we will never be able to make it to the end. If we could do this by our own strength, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. So what happens when uh, our, our self-motivation flags, when we face temptations and stumbling blocks? What happens when we find those troubled times, when we're deep in those valleys in life? What happens if that self-motivation withers? Others are motivated by others. And this is not and all a bad thing. In fact, the church and its assemblies are designed for the encouragement of the saints to continue on God's path. That's why we are to encourage each other uh, every day, as long as we all today in Hebrews 10, 24, 25, not neglecting the meeting of one another, uh, coming together. And there's a lot of times that brethren can provide that encouragement, that we can strengthen one another to continue on that path, to be motivated to, to persist in the face of trial. But uh, if you've ever had to depend on other people, you're quite aware that many times other people fail. Either they're not aware of the, your needs, or they just don't pick up and don't encourage you. What are you going to do then? Now, all of these kinds of motivations have their value, as we've seen, but they all have their difficulties. We cannot rely on one of them. Uh... We are motivated by multiple drivers. A little bit of fear, promise of glory and exaltations, a personal affirmation, and the encouragement of brethren. And that's why we need to be motivated by all sorts of things. And different ways. And to draw on God. Draw on one another. Draw on the promise of the future. And if it needs be, draw on that fear of hell to keep us going. That's what's going to keep us going. The other thing that we can see, especially when it comes to the, to the race... 
and really any kind of motive, uh, metaphor of moving, is the need for continual movement. When you're going to take a long distance movement, you're going to need to keep moving. Uh, you only burn through as fast as you can on a very short race. And Christianity is not a short race. It is a marathon. I personally had experience about this. Uh, when I was younger, I was on a 10-mile hike, and as was my habit, I and a group of some of people with me uh, got on ahead of the rest. And at one point, the trail markers became obscure. And so we stopped and waited. Now, that was unfortunately a bad decision because that uh, wait was fairly long. And because of the, over time, lactic acid had built up my muscles. And the rest of that hike was far more difficult because of how tight my muscles were. And I've taken many hikes in my life. And that one remains one of the worst in my memory. And if I hadn't have done that for whatever reason, if I had found the trail or if I had not gone ahead or if I had kept moving more effectively, it would not have been nearly as difficult because of what I put my body through. Continual movement also is great at keeping a predator wary. I'm going back to 1 Peter 5, 8. Um, prey that is not moving is a lot easier to catch than prey that is moving around. And that is why when, to run our race effectively, to continue on our journey, we need to keep going. We have to just keep swimming, as a certain fish uh, was wont to say. We need to keep going. It may not be as fast at times as other times, but we need to keep going. And that's also the other element of the race in 1 Corinthians 9.24. Run so that you may obtain the prize. Run so that you may win. What, what is the image there? Uh, very easy, especially when you're young, to have the image of breakneck speed, to go as fast as you can. And if, if you're doing 500, if you're doing a 50-yard dash, okay. Uh, but when you start getting it at further distances, you're not going to be able to make it. The key for effective running of any decent distance is to pace oneself. When you keep a constant speed, it's not so fast to wear out the runner, but not so slow as to lose the race. And that's how we're going to win this prize. We're going to need to pace ourselves. Those who want to run out from the gate at that fast breakneck speed uh, are comparable to the rocky soil of Matthew 13, 5 through 6. That uh, they'll do great for a little bit, but then there'll be some difficulties, a stumbling block or, or some kind of temptation or trial, and they'll fall away. They'll stumble and trip, and they won't get back up. They, are, they have burned out. Now, we need to recognize that pace is tailored to the individual. There are some people who are able to progress very quickly in the faith, and others take a lot longer. Some people uh, have a, a much start, faster start in certain ways, but not in others. Um, and that's okay. We're different people. We must each run so that we may obtain the prize. And our pace might be different for different people. And it's not for us to judge the pace of another. It is to strengthen one another so we can all get across the finish line that we may all obtain the prize. We need to keep going. Now, there's going to be bursts of speed and some slowing down. That's natural over the course of a long race. And a lot of times we may feel like in those rough times we're not moving very quickly, that we're falling apart and we're failing. But many times when we've gotten beyond that and gotten over that hill, so to speak, we've, we find it's, that that was some of the most important part of our journey to help us grow and to help us to progress in the faith. 
that you can't go downhill unless you've gone uphill. You can't enjoy the peak until you've gone through the valley. And that that all has important applications to our lives as Christians. Uh, our faith is determined through trial, not through success. Through difficulties, not through ease. The important thing is that we keep going. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's another element of a race that uh, is supposed to encourage us, and that is that we're not running it by ourselves. When we look at these descriptions, 1 Corinthians 9, Hebrews 12, they're both talking to some degree about a track race. And if there's a track race, there are stands around the track. And we are to imagine our race as in a stadium with all kinds of fans that Moses and Abraham and David the prophets all the mighty men of God are are cheering us on as we're running the race as we are persevering to overcome and to obtain the prize and we have the testimony of many of these fans in the word and we're to drive encouragement from them now sometimes we're we're tempted to think about a race that way in a stadium as an oval on flat ground. Um, but that's where it is It is good for us to remember and let that idea of the difficult path also influence. This is much more like the true idea of the marathon. The idea of going in Greece up and down mountains and around, you know, these treacherous places. That's, that's more accurate and that's much more like what our lives and the faith are going to be like. And we also need to keep in mind the idea of a stumbling block. Think about that for a second. What's a stumbling block? If you're not moving very fast and there's a rock in the way, is it going to trip you? Probably not. But if you're moving, you can be tripped up. And that's why we need to be careful about stumbling blocks and not putting stumbling blocks in the ways of others. And whatever our terrain is, we need to keep going on it. That's the important thing. We need to keep moving. When we look at Philippians 3, we have the idea of the upward call, the prize of Christ Jesus. And that's important for us to understand in terms of movement up and down. When we think about up or down, we think about a hill or a mountain. And we think that we can go up, we can stay at the same place, or we can go down. It's not really the way it works, though, in spiritual terms like it works in life. There's really only two ways you're going. You're either climbing higher or you're descending lower. If we think that we've plateaued, we're actually descending. This may seem strange. Well, if we're in the middle of a mountain, we're not on top of it, we're not on the bottom of it. If we don't move, we're not going up or down. But again, we are being deceived in that sense because we're not noticing that we are constantly in motion. The world around us is constantly changing. I don't need to persuade or convince anybody of that. We see it all the time. New technologies, new events, new paradigms. But the only thing that you can be guaranteed anymore is that there's going to be more change. And that's true about us as human beings as well. We're constantly going through change. Uh, we understand physical changes. That, in fact, almost every single part of our body is only seven years old. Everything has been rejuvenated, regenerated from uh, cells copying over and over again. Uh, we notice that we go through the aging process. We gain experiences and hopefully learn from them as we, as we get older. 
So we're changing. Uh, everything around us changes. We have relationships uh, change, and that's that's the thing. Is some some people get married hoping that their uh, beloved will not change. Well, that's the worst situation to be in because everybody changes. Uh, in a marriage, the two people who get married are going to change. The question is, they're going to change together. They're going to change apart. Uh, time marches on, and so it stands a reason that no matter what we do, as time progresses spiritual change occurs. Now, change on its own is is neutral. It's neither good or bad. It has the potential for either. We talk about upward change, generally termed growth. That's good, and we think that's spiritually advisable. Uh, in Ephesians 4, 2 Peter 3, and many other places. Downward change, which is normally loss, is generally not good and spiritually not advantageous. And spirituality, much like life and relationships and money, needs to continually grow and develop to be beneficial and good. What happens if you have money in the bank and you don't add to it or take away from it? It doesn't stay the same. It's actually a loss because if there's inflation, the power of that money weakens. You take it out to use it five to ten years later, it's not going to have the same power of spending as it did when you had had originally put it into the bank. As we said, in relationships, either people are growing together or they're growing apart. And if they grow apart, their relationship is most likely going to collapse. And so spiritually, we need to continually climb higher in the upward calling of Christ Jesus. Or we're going to backslide, and that may lead to very dire spiritual consequences. So we must always be seeking to grow. We never reach a point where we need to stop growing. There's always more ways in which we can grow, more ways we can mature, more ways that we can develop. It's also good to consider, though, that narrow way in Matthew 7. I mean, for traveling, we come to a fork in the road. Now, these days, hopefully your GPS is working, your ways or whatever you're using, and so you know which path to take. But uh, what happens if, you know, the ways went down, or you, your maps uh, didn't foresee that you were going to come as fork in the road? How do you know which way to take? Where are you going to go? Well, in life, we come to a lot of forks in the road. We may have a lot of decisions that we need to make that will impact how we live. And when we come to the forks of road in life, do we have the map? Do we have an understanding of the Word of God in Scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, where we have good guidance as to what God would have us to do and how He would have us to live? We may know, as we see in Hebrews 5, 14, to discern good and evil, and to know that and to be able to live accordingly. And that's why we need to allow the Word of God to direct our paths and to submit ourselves to God and to do His will and to pattern and orient our life toward what He would have us to do to His glory. And of course, the narrow path is narrow and difficult. And the way of worldly compromise is, and sin is wide, and the many are those who take it. A lot of times this ends up becoming a parody of itself because we focus so much on numbers and we, we feel like as long as we're in the minority, we're, we're doing well. And we're entirely missing Jesus' point. Jesus isn't saying uh, what he does in Matthew 7, 13-14 in a relishing way about all those who are going on the, on the path toward perdition. No, he's very distressed by it. Uh, the, the point of this is to remind Christians, remind his disciples, that the way that leads to life is narrow and difficult. Christianity is not easy. 
to become living sacrifices, to no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind in Romans 12, 1 and 2. That is not easy at all. There's all kinds of impediments in the road. There's temptations to sin. There's hostility from the world. Our brethren will let us down, but we must keep going on his path. And even though it may go up very steep mountains and go on very high cliffs, it might go deep into valleys, we need to follow Jesus wherever he goes so that we may be with him on the final day and be where he is and enjoy his presence forever. And that is why we must always progress in the faith to grow and to mature in his precepts. And so we see these metaphors of motion. We see that we're always moving. That we're supposed to always move in a way that is gr more like Jesus to be stronger in the faith. That's maturity. And that is why we need to constantly be maturing in the faith. We may not always feel like we're moving. But we're always moving. We're either moving forward and developing and maturing, or we're going backward. And we're allowing ourselves in that condition to be more easily tempted to fall. Change is constant. We cannot emphasize this enough. There will always be change. We can't resist it. We, we can kick and scream and moan and gripe about it, but it is what it is. And we can recognize that and try to use it for the good, or we can just give up and be swept away. We cannot turn back. We cannot stay the same. And that is why we all must continually strive for the upward calling of Christ Jesus to grow and mature in our faith and trust in him. Again, we're so glad that you've joined us. If you'd like to discuss this further, you'd like to learn about how to become a Christian, uh, maybe you'd like to hear some other messages or to uh, read some articles or find out some more information about uh, the faith or about the Venture to Christ, we'd be more than happy to encourage you to visit us online at VentureToChrist.org. You can also find us on many forms of social media. You can also contact me directly at my website, DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.